there's a lot of things in life that we feel ownership in, a sense of, uh, of, of pride in having something that's ours, right? Maybe it's, it's your car. Some of you bought your own car, and so it may be a, a hoopty to everybody else, but you look at it and you're like, man, I saved up money for that. I worked hard for that. That's my car. You can't eat in my car, even though there's stains from the 10 owners that had my car before me. This is my car. I've got ownership in it. I'm going to take care of it. You need to, to respect my car. Maybe for some of y'all, that's, that's your room. If you uh, live at home with your parents or, or if you're on your own, you have an apartment, a house or something like that, that's, that's that domain. You're like, hey, this is mine. I work hard to be able to pay rent to live here. And so I take care of it. There's ownership here. I care about how you treat my stuff. I care about how I treat my stuff. I'm going to uh, clean up after myself. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to make sure that it, it's not a pigsty, that it doesn't smell bad when you come over to my place. For some of you, maybe it's, it's your clothes. You take pride in that. You have a sense of ownership in your style. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm, I work hard to curate my own style. I work hard to, to put that out there. And I'm different and I'm unique. And, and I like that. And so I'm going to continue to work hard about that. And I have a sense of ownership about that. I want to maintain the quality of my style. Some of you, it may be uh, your phone, your computer, your devices, your video games, whatever it is that, that you're like, hey, this is mine. I have ownership over this. I'm going to take care of this. Um, and so, it, you know, when the new one comes out, I'm going to get that. I'm going to update it. I'm going to keep it clean. I'm going to make sure that there's no viruses on it or, or anything that, that's going to bog it down because I've got ownership in that. Or maybe it's to, to kind of shift to more of kind of a, a philosophical approach to this concept of ownership. It's your school. You say, you know what, I'm a gaucho through and through, gaucho pride, right? That's what they've got up on the, the banners at Saddleback there. And you think to yourself, I, I love my school, and I'm going to defend my school. There's ownership there. I'm gonna, somebody wants to make fun of the gauchos, they're going to have a problem with me, right? And so you, you stand up for your school. Some of you have, have pride in your family. My son Joshua, he's just now encountering your mama jokes at school. And uh, he was talking to me about that the other day, and I said, well, they can't make fun of your mama because that's my wife, and they're going to have problems with me. That 10-year-old is going to quickly understand the wrath of God being poured out upon him. No, but I was teaching Joshua some of your mama jokes um, to take back to school <laughs> with him. Well, let's be real, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got a, a sense of pride, of ownership of your family. Hey, don't make fun of my family. That's my family. Right? And you, you have ownership there that, that if, if anybody impugns your family or if something's wrong in your family, you're going to stand up and you're going to say, wait a minute, this is not right. I'm not okay with this. You know, guys, hopefully we've, we've got a sense of ownership in our church as well. You think to yourself, I care about this place. I care about this group. I care about the people in this group. I don't want anything to, to be said that's, that's bad, that's against this group. I want this group to be as best as it possibly can be. I want our church to be as best as it possibly can be. You've got a sense of, this is my church, this is my group, and I want to be here. Think about what ownership produces in you. It produces a, a sense of responsibility, right? If it's your car, you take on a responsibility to, to make sure that your car is running well. You change the oil in your car. You make sure that you put the right kind of gas in your car. That You make sure that, that you, you keep the inside of your car somewhat clean at least. And if there's a, a warning light that comes on, you have the responsibility to say, hey, I need to get that addressed. Something's wrong. I need to fix that. And so you take that responsibility to, to do that when you have a sense of ownership. Ownership also gives you a, an attention to detail. 
Maybe it's your, your house and, and you like a clean house or you like a clean room and so you've got an attention to detail. You're not going to leave soda cans lying on the, the bedside table. You're not going to leave uh, plates of food that are, are half eaten laying on the floor. You're going to have that sense of I'm going to take care of this place and I'm going to pay attention to the smallest detail because I want it to be clean because I've got this sense of ownership about it. And hopefully you've got a, a desire with a, a sense of ownership to improve that thing that you own that thing that you're proud of, that thing that you love. You want to make it better than it was when you first took it. You want, don't want to just maintain it and you don't want to let it degrade. You want to actually upgrade it. You want to make it better than it was. Another thing that comes along with a sense of ownership is a risk of investment. You think to yourself, man, I've, I've got skin in the game with this. I've put effort into this. This matters to me because I've made, this, this cost me something for this to be good, for this to be quality. And if I jump ship now, man, I'm, I'm out the time, the money, the resources that I've invested to whatever that thing may be. Again, guys, it's, it's my desire, my prayer that when you guys think about Compass, when you guys think about the bridge, that you feel that sense of, of ownership. That you feel a, a sense of, of responsibility about helping our group reach the full potential that it could be, that you feel a, a sense of attentiveness to, to detail, always looking for ways that we can be better than we are. Ways that we can improve in how we do things here at the bridge. Not just settling, not just being okay with, with the status quo, but always saying, okay, how can we reach more people? How can we welcome more people? How can we make small groups even better than they are right now? What, what can we do on that front? And that you have a, an investment in this group. That there's something at stake for you with the success or failure of this ministry because you've said, you know what, I've invested so much time and effort in this ministry. I, I don't want to see it just stagnate. I don't want to see it just plateau. I want to see it continue to excel and continue to thrive. Well, tonight's passage is going to give us an idea of what it should look like for us to have ownership of our ministry. Ownership of this church. Ownership of, of the bridge specifically. It's going to be a good checkup for you and I to, to look at our ministry and to look at us as individuals and to see, okay, where is it that we need to strengthen? Where is it that we need to improve? Where is it that we need to do better than we're doing? Or maybe we're going to be able to look around and see some areas that we're doing well. And I would say with Paul, as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, when he said to them, hey, you know what? You guys are doing really well loving each other. Paul didn't say, so just kick that into cruise control. He said, excel still more. So even in the areas that we're doing well, let's get better. Let's keep striving to be better. Our text is James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And at first glance, it seems like it's a passage about wisdom. And it is about wisdom, but at the same time, it's, it's not about wisdom. Because what it's about is not wisdom the way that James has already addressed wisdom. In James chapter 1, you remember when we were talking about enduring trials, and there James says, hey, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will provide it for you. There James was talking about wisdom that's beneficial for us as individuals with the individual trials and, and, and suffering that we endure as Christians, right? Now James isn't talking about wisdom on an individual level. He's talking about wisdom on a group level, wisdom on a corporate level, wisdom on a ministry or a church level. And so as we think about this passage, it's not about you getting individual wisdom to benefit yourself and your own life outside of the context of the community, the body of Christ. Rather, it's about you getting wisdom and us collectively pursuing wisdom that's going to be good for us as a community. Let's pick up in verse 13 of chapter 3. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? 
By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James starts this by this invitation to his readers, to his audience. Hey, if if there's anybody wise among you, and the implication there is that there there are wise people in the, the audience that James is writing to. Looking at our group, hey, if there's anybody wise among you, again, the implication is that there is those that are are wise in our group. James says, let him do what? Let him show it by his works in the meekness of wisdom. This is nothing new to the book of James, is it? He's been talking about putting your faith into action from the very beginning of the book. It's been a call to action from chapter one when he's talking about enduring trials And then later on when he's talking about looking at the word of God like somebody looks in the mirror and sees their natural face and you see yourself in the morning, you're like, whoa, I need to do something about that, right? And that's how we should be when we read the Bible, that we need to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And then he gets into chapter two when he talks about a practical way that we need to be doing God's word is by not showing favoritism or partiality towards people, not judging people where God has not judged people. And then he gets into the second part of chapter two when he's talking about being somebody who, who is, is putting their faith into action. That faith that works is faith that works. That there's no such thing as a faith that does not have any works associated with it, right? Show me is what James is saying. And then like Kellen preached on last week, even with our words, we're showing the reality of the faith that we possess. And so James is now looking at us as a group, as a, a corporate entity again, and he's looking at us and he's saying, y'all, listen. If any of you among, uh, among you is, is wise, show it by the way that you live your lives. Show it by the way that you live your lives, he says, in, in the, the meekness of wisdom. Guys, as, as we look at our group, the type of group that we are going to be and that we are currently is going to be seen in how we live in community with each other. That's going to reveal where we're at. And that's that first step in this checkup of our group. It's point number one for us tonight. It's this, take an honest look at our group. Take an honest look at our group, at the bridge. Who is wise and understanding among the bridge? By your good conduct, let, your, let them show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The reality is, guys, this group is not mine. It's yours. It's not your leaders. It's yours. This group exists not for the, the pastor and the leaders. If all we had here tonight were the pastor and the leaders, we wouldn't meet. This group is here for, for y'all. And so this is your ministry, your group. And so the question I have for you tonight as we're thinking about this group is, do you feel ownership of this group? Are you willing to stand up and say that, that, that yes, this is, this is my group? I am a part of this. I have ownership over this. The Bridges is my ministry. Or do you have a a critical spirit without a contributing spirit? It's not a bad thing to have constructive criticism. We all need that in our lives, and our ministries need that. 
But if it's criticism apart from a willingness to contribute to the, to the solution, then it's, it's, it's worthless. It's not helpful. And so as you think about this group, is it yours? Do you see more of what's wrong with this group than what might be good about this group? The first marker in the passage of what a healthy group atmosphere looks like in this is that it's a group marked by the meekness of wisdom. Now I know meekness is not a word that we throw around a lot today. We don't talk about being meek, but, but meekness means this. This is the definition that I found that I, I love this definition. It says, not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. I love that. Not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. So when you consider who you are, it's, it's not being overly impressed with yourself. Not sitting there going, man, it's a good thing that I'm a part of this group because if I wasn't a part of this group, man, they'd be in big trouble. But seeing yourself through a, a lens of, of humility. And so again, I ask you, is there a sense of humility about the way that you think about yourself and the way that you think about others in this room? How about your thoughts about your leaders? Are they thoughts that are, are meek and humble or are they thoughts that can be critical and judgmental? Y'all, this is huge for us. If we want to be a group that's marked by a strong sense of community, we have to get this point. It has to start with this humility. Pridefulness in a critical spirit will kill community everywhere it's found. Everywhere. But if we can be a group that's, that's genuinely humble, that's meek, that's saying, look, we want the, the good of the group above and beyond anything else. That's when we can begin to thrive. That's when we can begin to be a group that's, that's striving towards reaching its full potential. And so as you think about the group, these people around you, and how we're doing when it comes to the meekness of wisdom, that's where we have to start tonight, is we're, we're striving towards this checkup of, of how we're doing as the bridge. Let them show it in the meekness of wisdom. Because there's a different kind of wisdom that he's about to turn to. And this second kind of wisdom, it, it masquerades as something that's good for the group. It's a wisdom that, that brands itself as having the best interest in, in the group in mind. But it's really, uh, the sole concern about this wisdom is, is the self. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's what's good for me. But you pass it off as what's good for me is good for the group. And so you, you couch it in terminology of, of, man, this group would be so much better if... James 3 picks back up in verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Y'all, selfishness is a, it's a cancer to every form of true community that, that exists. Community cannot be built on a platform of selfishness or selfish ambition, as James calls it. Looking at this group as uh, the sense of what can, it, what can I get out of this? How can this advance my platform? How can this advance my agenda? To bring that spirit, to bring that mindset to our group is going to kill any sort of community or momentum in our group whatsoever. Look at the end of verse 15. See the language that James uses to describe this false wisdom. He calls it earthly. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. John says, do not love the things in the world. 
For the things in the world are not from God, but are from the earth, right? And he, he describes those things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. James is saying this selfish ambition, this pridefulness, it's, it's anchored to the, the world system. It's not, it's not a, a godly type of wisdom. In fact, he escalates as he's going through the description. He calls it earthly. Then he says it's, it's unspiritual. It's of the natural world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says that, that people who are, uh, that are natural men can't understand the things of God's word because they're not people that have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They haven't been made part of, of God's family. And James is saying this earthly wisdom is, a, is an unspiritual wisdom. It's an ungodly wisdom. And then he goes so far as even to classify it finally as what? As, as demonic. As demonic. And James is very strong when he's indicting this. And the reason that he's so strong is because this poses such a threat to the good of the body of Christ. As James is writing to believers that are scattered as a result of persecution who have gathered together and formed churches where they are and they're getting James' letter and they're reading it, he's thinking about the quarreling, he's thinking about the selfishness, he's thinking about the division, he's thinking about the critical spirits that exist in there and he's addressing those and saying, if, if these continue, then you stand no chance. Because these things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And what they produce? Bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. Jealousy. You come in not with the good of, of somebody else in mind. You come in and you hear of somebody else that had something great happen to them this week. And instead of being happy with them and rejoicing with those who rejoice, instead you feel a bitterness in your heart towards them. And your thoughts are, why can't that be me? That person doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve that relationship. She doesn't deserve that relationship. They don't deserve that new car. They don't deserve that job that they got. They don't deserve to have gotten into that school. I, that, that should be me. I've worked way harder than they've worked. I'm a nicer person than they are. And these thoughts creep into our minds and they, they begin to destroy unity, selfish ambition. Again, you come in here and your thought is, how can this serve to advance my platform? How can I rise through the ranks? How can people look at me and, th and think, wow, man, that guy, that girl, they're, they're super spiritual. They've got it together. I want to be like that. And you show up thinking, man, how can, I, how can I be that person? How can I make sure that people think that I'm cool, that I'm legit, that, that I'm godly, that I'm somebody to look up to and follow? The disciples were doing that, weren't they? As they were literally on the road to the cross with Jesus. They were found arguing amongst themselves. And Jesus comes up and he's like, hey, what are, what are you guys arguing about? How sheepish must they have felt when they said, we're arguing about who's going to be what? Greatest in the kingdom. Jesus is literally on the way to give his life on the cross for them. And they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom. Y'all, sometimes we walk into church just like that. Our mindset, our attitude is just like that. And Jesus corrects them, right? He says, look, you want to be greatest? If you want to be greatest, it's not like the Gentiles who lorded over everybody. He said, if you want to be greatest, you must first become what? The slave of all. The servant of all. You want to be first? Become last. You want to be at the top? Be at the bottom. That's what Jesus is driving at. And James is saying, look, this worldly wisdom that we bring with us, it's, it's contrary to what Jesus has called us to. To be thinking to ourselves, man, how can this advance me? Which is what the next thing that it produces is, it's, it's pride. 
It fuels your pride. You walk in and you think to yourself, man, I, I feel good about myself. How can I feel better about myself? Who can I go hang out with that I know is gonna compliment me? Who can I go hang out with that I know is gonna be impressed by me? Pride, disorder. It's the opposite of unity. It's, it's cliques, it's factions, it's groups. It's these people hang out over here and they never hang out over here with this group because they just wouldn't. And guys, I, I would like to think that we're beyond the, the realm of the cool kids and the, the nerds and the not cool kids or whatever. I, I'd, I'd like to think that we left that behind in high school. But we're just as guilty when you show up and your first thought is I'm gonna go hang out with that group because it's comfortable to be over there. And I'm not gonna talk to that person over there because it's uncomfortable to go to talk to that person over there. That inclination is just as prideful and selfish as walking in and going, man, that, that guy's such a nerd, I'm not gonna hang out with that person. It's just as prideful to say, I'm not gonna work hard enough to go try to make a, a, a new friend, I'm just gonna go choose to be comfortable with the friends that I already have. And so it, it's disorder, it's, it's, it's fractions. And then he says, in, in every vile practice, because if this persists, if this mindset persists, if this mindset overtakes, then it's not far before we begin to just take God's word and, and push it to the peripheral more and more and more and more, and we just do whatever we want and whatever's good for us. Selfish ambition. And pride, disorder, every vile practice. That word for jealousy is interesting. It's the same word that we get our, our word zeal from. In fact, the word zeal is a transliteration from the Greek here. Zealous. And you think of, of zeal, and zeal can be a good thing. Zeal directed to the Lord is a good thing. If you're passionate about God and God's honor, that's a good thing. But James is saying the problem is we've turned that on its head and we're zealous for ourselves. And James is saying that that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Y'all, this is everywhere that we look in the world. It's all about building up the self at the expense of everybody else. Point number two tonight is this. Die to self for the good of the group. Die to self for the good of the group. This mindset of, of selfish ambition and pride, bitter jealousy, it's, it's everywhere you look outside the church, isn't it? I mean, think about the corporate world. It's all about who you need to step on as you climb the corporate ladder to advance your, your own career. While I was in seminary, I worked at, at Starbucks and... Uh, it, it, it was there, guys, and, and it was ridiculous. I mean, we were baristas. It's not like we were any Fortune 500 Mongols, but people were just willing to claw and scratch at each other for whatever they needed to, to to get the best shifts, to get the most tips, to get that next promotion, right? I mean, it was everywhere. And then there was, I mean, the, the immorality and everything else was there too. I mean, the, the, this worldly wisdom, it's, it's, it's the places that you hang out all the time. It's there in the social scene. It's about maintaining appearances and cultivating your social status, making sure that you've got enough likes, making sure that you have enough friends, making sure that you've got enough followers. And all of that is to, to fuel our selfish pride and our, our, our empty ambition. It's even there on the roadways, right? Somebody cuts you off on the road and you get angry. Why do you get angry? Because you're selfish. That's why you get angry. And you get mad because they, how dare they cut you off? You're more important than they are. They don't deserve to be in front of you. You deserve to be in front of them. This illustration comes so easy for me because maybe I struggle with that, right? 
it's, it's a, a place that, that you see selfish ambition, where you see this earthly, unspiritual wisdom. But what James is saying is this can even creep into the church. And he's saying there's no room for it in the church. There's no room for this in the church whatsoever. It will destroy unity. It will destroy the group. And so for us, our, our checkup here for the bridge, we've got to be those that are showing up to the bridge on Sunday nights willing to die to ourselves for the good of the group. I think one of the most selfless acts that you hear of today it comes from the, the world of, of the, the military. And you think about those men when, when there's a grenade that's thrown and the men that dive on the grenade for the good of their companions. Literally willing to give their life to save others. Not thinking about themselves. That's, that's the antithesis of selfish ambition. Is to, to dive on the gr- grenade. Because I guarantee you not one guy who's ever done that before dives on that grenade thinking to himself, well, if I survive, I'm going to get the Medal of Honor, and that's going to be pretty sweet, and I'll get a Purple Heart, and man, this is going to do wonders for my social scene. So yeah, grenade, I'm, I'm on it. No, they dive on the grenade because they love the, the ones that they're serving with. They love the people that they're with, and they're saying, hey, I, I'm, man, it's, it's better that I give my life for them than, than that they should get hurt, that they should get harmed. That's the, the most selfless act. And so guys, as we show up, I mean, Hopefully, we're never going to have any live grenades tossed into the bridge on Sunday night. But we need to come with that mindset that, hey, spiritually, we need to be willing to dive on the grenade for the good of the group. Give up ourself. Be humble. Be selfless. Be looking to serve. You're only going to do that, though, for a group of people that you're committed to, that you feel this sense of ownership of, a group that you love being around. Y'all, this is what Paul was addressing this problem in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when it had invaded the church. First Corinthians 3. He says, he says, but brothers, I, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, as mature believers. But he says, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Why? He says, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, well, I follow Apollos. He says, are you not just merely being human? He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, but Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, labor. for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. So Paul's saying, look, you're lining up behind these leaders in the church saying, well, I, this leader's better. No, this leader's better. And Paul's going, stop. It's pointless. He says, look, Apollos, me, we're nothing. We're just servants. God's just using us. God is the one that's working in you. Line up behind him. Unite behind him. Don't unite behind me or anybody else. Don't unite behind a a small group leader over another small group leader. Don't unite behind a a group of friends over another group that's over here that you don't know. Paul's saying, you guys, we're fellow workers. We're laborers doing the same thing. We should be working towards the same goal and worldliness. When it creeps in, it begins to divide us and fraction us because of what? Because of our selfish ambition and our pridefulness. Guys, God's desire for this group is that it be whole without any 
pockets or divisions of selfish ambition or jealousy. And so what are some of the, the, the things that you think about about other people in this room? The thoughts that you entertain about them. Are they positive, encouraging, loving, thankful for the other people in this room? Or are they critical, judgmental, bitter? Are they thoughts that rejoice in the good that somebody else in this room experiences? Or are they thoughts that are are jealous, envious, covetous, and selfish? Moving out of the realm of our thought life to our prayer life. How often do you pray for people in this room? You want to be united and strong? Become a group that's praying for each other. And do it. Don't just say, hey, I'll pray for you. Pray for them. Start praying for somebody and you will realize that you develop a care and concern and love for them that you didn't have before that. How about, think about your your motivation, your thoughts during small groups. What are you there for? Are you there to boast in your knowledge? Are you there to show off your biblical wisdom, your spiritual maturity, or are you there to come alongside your brothers in Christ, your sisters in Christ for their good, for their Christ-likeness, for their growth? The church should not be a place at all where selfish ambition and jealousy can flourish, but it absolutely can be a place where those things flourish. And we have to stand guard against that. I love James because he's so practical, right? He doesn't say, stop this and then walk away. He says, stop this and what? And do this. He gives you the practical opposite. He gives you the response. He doesn't give you the the do not without following it up with the the do. And that's exactly where he goes in verse 17. He says, but, he says, by contrast, instead of the wisdom that's marked by selfish ambition and bitterness and pride, he says, there's another wisdom. And this is the wisdom that we need to pursue. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. First thing to note here is the contrast between the character of the two wisdoms. The the first wisdom, the one that we just looked at, is what? It's earthly, unspiritual, and, and demonic, right? James says, but there's another wisdom, and this wisdom comes from where? From above. From above, right? That, in other words, that this is a, a heavenly wisdom, James is saying that that there's a wisdom, and when we think of wisdom, wisdom is different than than knowledge and intellect. Wisdom is knowledge and intellect living itself out. Wisdom is skill for life. And so James is saying that there's another wisdom that's a a heaven-sourced way of doing life. And he's saying that's what we need to be striving for. That's what we need to make sure that as we're giving giving ourselves a, a checkup as the bridge, that that's what marks us here at the bridge. Y'all, if we want to be that, if we want to be God's group, if we want to be united, welcoming, growing, dynamic like that, we have to do it God's way. And here's the, the, the deal. That's going to involve every single one of us being all in on that. Again, if you have ownership in this group, and you would say, this is, this is my group, this is, these are my people, this is my church, this is my home, there's no tapping out on this to go, well, I'm just going to go on the sidelines. There's no sidelines on this everybody's part of the starting five when it comes to this concept. We all have to be involved. We all have to be pulling our weight. I cannot plead this kind of wisdom into existence. 
I can't preach it into existence. And I can't plan it into existence. This has to come with all of you reaching deep down inside to grab that resolve, that ownership, and disciplining yourself to say, we're going to live this way in this group for the betterment of this group and for the betterment of the, the people that we're sitting next to in this room because we care about them and we love them. Unless we're all committed to living according to the wisdom from above, guys, it, it's just, it's not going to happen. It's our final point tonight. It's this. Play your part for the good of the group. Play your part for the good of the group. I remember back in uh, high school, um, Halo came out, the first one. And I used to play that with my friends, but I wasn't very good at it because I had a PlayStation and it was on Xbox, right? So nobody ever wanted me on their team. But they also didn't want me on their team because I thought it was hilarious to go up and kill my teammates. They'd be like hiding out, waiting for the other team, and I knew I didn't stand a shot against the other team, but I knew I could kill my teammates. So I would sneak up behind them and karate chop them in the back of the head or snipe them from a distance or whatever, and they just were like, PJ, are you kidding me? Right? Why? Because if, if you're on a team, you need to be what? Working together? Yeah? How many of you guys have ever played tug of war in the room? Right. Now, now, how many of you have ever played tug of war and all of a sudden you just have everybody pulling in opposite directions on your side? That doesn't happen, right? Why? Because with a game as, as simple and basic as tug of war, everybody understands for us to win that game, we all have to be pulling in what? The same direction. Well, guys, as, as a church, as a ministry, as a body of Christ, as, as the bridge, we all need to be pulling in the same direction. And that's towards this idea of this godly wisdom, this wisdom from above. And here's the, the impact that it's going to have on us. Number one, it's, it's first, it's a wisdom that's, that's pure. Guys, y'all's purity has more to do with the group corporately than you realize. Think about it. Is God going to bless our group, this group, if all of us have concealed sin that's hidden, that's unconfessed, that none of us are, are, are dealing with the way that God wants us to? If we're all living lives of, of impurity, is God going to smile favorably on, on this group? No. So your personal holiness has a direct impact on the unity of this group. As you fight for sin, you're not just fighting for yourself. You're fighting for this group and the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ as well. This wisdom is first, it's, it's pure. Second, it's, it's peaceable. It's peaceable. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 15. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Describes this, this peaceableness of this wisdom. Paul says there, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, here's the first thing, compassionate hearts. A peaceable wisdom has compassion for other people. Concern for them, love for them. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness, there's our words that we've been talking so much about again. Humility and meekness and patience. So this peaceable wisdom that we need to be pursuing has, it's a patient wisdom. And he goes on and says, forgiving each other. That for the good of the group, for the, the, the unity of the group, for the peace of the group, we're willing to say, hey, you know what? Dude, absolutely I forgive you. And guys, when we understand how much we've been forgiven by Christ, that should come naturally to us. 
There's going to be times that it's harder than others for us to, to forgive, but when we understand how much we have been forgiven by Christ, guys, we need to be a group that's willing to forgive other people from stepping on toes because we're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to sin against each other. Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Love for one another, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ, this wisdom is peaceable, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Not selfish ambition and greed in your hearts. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. This peace is, is, is this wisdom is, is peaceable. It's living, forgiving with one another, being compassionate to one another. But, but next, it's not just peaceable, it's gentle. It's considerate of one another. It's not like a bull in a china shop just trying to drive your agenda, drive your desires, drive your answers in small group. It's considering other people. It's backing off and maybe saying, hey, you know what, I've, I've talked a, a lot in this small group. Maybe somebody else needs an, an opportunity to chime in. It's open to reason. Man, this one's hard. It's open to reason. Y'all, if there's one thing that we are good at, it is being stubborn and unreasonable people. You have your agenda. You have your opinion. And y'all, it, it's one of the hardest things in the world to be willing to enter into a conversation with somebody else with the mindset that says, my opinion might be wrong. And we need to do that. What's the final arbiter for us? What's the final judge of what's ultimately right and wrong? God's word is. But at the same time, y'all, there may be some gray areas. There may be some thoughts on what we should be doing as a group or whatever. And you may be strongly opinionated one way. But you may have a brother or sister in Christ come alongside you and say, hey, rather than doing that, what if we did this instead? We need to be open to reason. That's going to maintain unity and peaceableness in our group. Be willing to be wrong. Be willing to change. If you need to change, it's a wise person that can approach a, a conversation with that mentality. But it's also wisdom that's full of mercy. Again, mercy, forgiving each other, helping each other, meeting needs that other people have. And it's a wisdom that's full of good fruits. Go back to James chapter two. It's a faith that works, right? That your life is a godly life. That this wisdom is a, a life that's, that's producing godliness in you, obedience to God. And he says it's a wisdom that's impartial. Again, James chapter two, the first part of James chapter two. Preach the whole message on that. It's a wisdom that's not looking at people and judging them by standards that God doesn't hold them to. Their appearance, their social status, their, 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 their money that they have, whatever it may be, who they are, the job, their personality. God is not judging them according to that and yet we do. And James is saying, no, the, the, the biblical wisdom doesn't do that. It dies to those man-made standards. But that biblical wisdom is also sincere, is genuine. Your love for others is not just a show that you put on when you show up, but it's genuine. Y'all, to be a, a wise, united group on a corporate level like this requires that we each be pursuing the right wisdom individually. This is all of us working together towards this. And so as we take this group checkup, yes, part of the group checkup is an individual checkup, right? Just like before a sports team goes out to compete in a game, every single athlete needs to make sure that they, their body is in, is in top condition. 
that they are ready to go out and perform, they are ready to go out to play, but then when they go out and, and take the field together, they take the field as one team working towards one goal, one common objective, right? That's how we need to be. Maybe you're not into sports. Let me go to marching band then, just like Pastor John did the other week, right? Again, the marching band. Each musician that takes the field, playing whatever instrument that they're playing, they need to make sure that they know the notes that they're supposed to play. They need to make sure that they know where they're supposed to be in formation. And so there's an individual element to that. But then corporately, when they step onto the field, they are together working towards one common goal, one common objective. Y'all, for us to see this group be what we want it to be, which I hope you want it to be a group where you desire to be. I hope you want this to be a group that you think about and you go, yes, this is my ministry. This is my church family. I love these people and I want to be here. Guys, for us to make this a place where you just can't wait to get to, we can do that. The potential is there. You guys are a great ministry. I love this ministry. I love what I get to do week in and week out. I'm also looking at you guys going, other people need to be around you, right? And so that's part of what we're trying to do at Saddleback, at IVC, at UCI, but that can only go so far. But if you guys begin to build relationships with your peers, with your friends, and you guys begin to bring them here, but here's the the thing that's going to make you do that when you can't wait to get here yourself. And again, I can't preach that message that's going to make that place exist. I can't plan enough events that's going to make that place exist in your mind. I can't recruit enough small group leaders that's going to make that place exist in your mind. It has to be a commitment to say, I'm going to have, have ownership in this group. The bridge is my ministry. I care about it. I care about the people that are a part of it. I want to see it grow. I want to see it excel. I want to see it become a, a place where God is doing amazing things. Again, guys, the, the potential is there. It is there. Now it's about us all joining together, pulling in the same direction, being willing to do our part for the good of the group. Dying to self for the good of the group so that we can make sure that we are able to read James chapter three and be like, yeah, James, I know what you're talking about here. I've experienced that. I'm part of a group that is this, uh, uh, characterized by this wisdom from above and I love it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for James's directness, his practicality. We thank you, God, that you give us such a clear blueprint to move forward as to what does it look like to be this type of a group. You, you tell us that in your word. And so, God, help us to live that way. Help us to be faithful to that model. Help us as individuals, God, to strive to model those things so that corporately we can continue to grow in that and be known as a group where a godly wisdom, a godly community, godly unity is thriving. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.